Welcome to Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. You can find links to all of Phil's resources at philsbaker.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today and take a moment to share this podcast with your friends. Now, here's Phil. All right, well, welcome to episode 86. This is part two of my interview with my father, Olin Baker. And here in part two, Olin breaks down the different stages of grief and discusses strategies for grieving in a healthy way. Please make sure you check out my dad, Olin Baker's new podcast, Attitudes Answers, on your favorite podcatcher. Also, make sure to become a subscriber and to leave a positive rating and review on both his channel and mine, Reclaiming the Faith. I also want to say thank you to Ray Shillins of Radio Lounge USA for doing such an awesome opening for my podcast. Going to be using that for a while. Also want to let y'all know that I am blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency with BDK and Kurt and be on the lookout for something that we'll be doing here together in the very near future. And I'd love for you to be praying for me as I'm getting close to being done with another 10-song album. Got most of the songs in the mixing phase right now and just a few more that need a little bit of icing on the cake. So please be in prayer for that for me. All right. Well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get episode 86 rolling. What are the different stages of grief? Well, uh, back in the early 70s, um, there was a psychiatrist, a medical doctor, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She, she, her main research was with patients who were terminally ill. They were not going to make it. They could not recover because of the damage to their body that whatever the illness was, whether it's cancer or some other kind of disease, they only had a certain amount of time to live. So her research involved the stages that these patients would go through. Mm. Now, <clears throat> that doesn't mean that you can say, well, here are, is the order. Here is the order that she came up with. First of all, there's shock and disbelief. I'm not going to die. I couldn't be, go that person's not really dead. They're going to come back and, you know, they'll be home when I get home. Uh, just disbelief that the person could actually be gone, mm -hmm. that they were forever gone. And a period of shock and disbelief may last a few days, may last a few months. Um, the, the second stage of, of grief that she might say, and they're in different orders according to where you look, but the next one could be anger. That you're, it's kind of like the woman in 
the emergency room, trying to come to terms with her little girl being dead forever. Or the, another case where a woman, she had taken her father to the hospital for a, a, a surgery that had been taken, gone on for years, you know, that, and it successfully. Mm. But with her father, it wasn't successful. Mm. And, um, but what they found is that the cancer had so metastasized and spread that they just had to stitch him back up and tell her that her dad was going, not going to make it. And sure enough, he died. Uh, the surgery was too much for his body to take and process. So he literally died right there in the hospital uh, immediately following the surgery. And so she is so angry with them, they could have saved him. Mm. They should have saved him. What did they do that was so bad and wrong? I'm going to sue them. Yeah. And I'm going to go burn down the hospital. You know, I'm going to do all of these things because I'm so angry about it mm. that I cannot constrain myself. Yeah. Um, but after a few weeks, she, her anger began to dissipate because she could begin to accept the reality that my father's was so ill that he could not survive. Mm. But anger can be about anything, you know, that, uh, and expressed, you just have an angry attitude about life. How could God do this to me? Mm. Why is God punishing me by causing my little girl, six years old, to die uh, of some dreaded disease, whatever. And I'm kind of remembering cases that mm. I've dealt with. Sure. Uh, but anger can then turn into um, sadness, real deep sorrow. Someone said that anger turned inward with no place to go mm. turns into depression. Mm. It evolves into maybe severe depression. But most people are really sad. They have a deep sense of sadness when somebody dies. And they may show that sadness by crying. Yeah, Some people may show it by... They're just want to stay asleep. Yeah, it's kind of a way to avoid uh, the sadness. If I'm sleeping, I I'm not consciously aware that I'm so sad and that my life has changed so much. Maybe turning to drugs too. Right. Yeah, and and it's at this point where you know we may try to do some bargaining. Mm. You know. Well, God, if you will only let this person get well, then I will forever be um, your servant. Mm. I will I will be good the rest of my life. You mm. know, I will not misbehave. 
I will always be kind and generous and helpful and uh, good to other people. Mm. But it's, if you will, God will do this, then I will do this. Yeah. It's, it's a bargaining that you just to turn things around, to turn things back, to go back to yesterday. Mm. You know, when things were pleasant and good and I was happy. Yeah. Yeah, trying to get ourselves unstuck. Exactly. Yeah. Because if you if you get stuck, then you're trapped. Yeah. And then grief can go on for years. Yeah. It's like the person who thought she had the perfect marriage or he thought he had the perfect marriage. And so he will never have another relationship ever yeah. with anybody, you yeah. know, so, because I can't go through the loss of this again. And there's a point where you come to accept, you know, there's shock, disbelief, anger, maybe uh, bargaining, mm-hmm. maybe uh, uh, the sadness, sadness, the grief, the sadness of grief, the even depression. Yeah. And eventually you come to a place where you begin to accept it mm. and things begin to return to some normal thing. But this can, these stages can come and go. Yeah. You can think, well, I'm angry again or I'm sad again, or I'm depressed again, or I'm thinking about this again. So um, I've come to accept the reality of things. And what it may mean is that I have to accept a new normal because my life has changed so much. Mm. What was normal previously is not normal anymore. Yeah. You know, my mother had to learn to cook for herself mm. instead of just cooking for she and my dad when he passed away. Yeah. Um, she was uh, there by herself again. It was a new normal. I have to live by myself now. Mm. When my grandfather died, my grandmother, who had 10 children, adult children, you know, she um, decided that what I'll do, I'll spend a month with each of my children. So here I come, I'm going to spend a month with you. That was a new normal for her. So every month she changed where she lived. Mm. She, uh, she had a nice big house on a nice big farm. Mm. But she couldn't stay there anymore. It's just too lonesome. Yeah. It was just too difficult to live in that house without my grandfather because, you know, he's a was a strong, healthy farmer who worked in his seventies. He was still farming that place just like he did twenty, thirty years ago. You know, he was yeah. uh active and um uh, all of a sudden, he had a stroke that killed him. 
because he was working out in the sunlight in a very hot day. Mm. And so he had a heat stroke, but it was so severe that he died from it. And then that changed my grandmother's normal Mm. to she had to create something different. Mm. And in that new normal, uh, it's like today, the way the, the virus is working, it forces people to establish a new normal for their lives. Yeah. What was normal in um, 2019, in 2020, here in um, August, my, our worlds have changed. Mm. And um, every time I leave the house to go someplace like to the grocery store yeah. or to the doctor's office, I go prepared. Yeah, right. I wear my mask. Yeah. And I, at the grocery store, I don't crowd around people. Um, uh, can go to church. Yeah. The church is closed to worship on Sunday morning or Bible study classes. Can't do that. But the normal now is that we can uh, view church online. Mm -hmm. And we have a Bible study class, a Zoom class. Right. Where people, they check in, they wait in the waiting room, you know, on the Zoom uh, place. And Mm -hmm. so... Um, that's a new normal, and that's where people who go through grieving often have to come to this new Substance. place, a yeah. new way of managing. Yeah. So those are four or five different stages of grief where you come to acceptance and you're willing to accept that your life has changed forever. Yeah. And but, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, but it's interesting that Jesus would say, blessed are those who mourn or grieve, for they shall be comforted. And comforted doesn't mean that all of this goes away. It means that you have new coping skills. Mm. And that's what Jesus is saying, I will... In my comforting you, I will give you a different way of thinking, maybe a different way of believing, a different way of behaving. And, you know, I am different now, and my life has changed, society has changed, and I can adjust to that. That's a great Great verse. I think in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Um, so what I'm curious about is what are some steps that people can take in to, to have um, you know, success, for lack of a better word, grieving, to get to that place of, of hope and acceptance? What are some things that people can do to, um, to grieve in a healthy way? Well, if we grieve in a healthy way, we that means we're healing. It's just like if we have surgery for something, our body has to go through these different phases of healing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that 
they're, you're absent of pain. Yeah. Uh, I, I got a new knee joint uh, a few years ago, and the healing process was pretty painful. Right. <clears throat> but I was beginning to have less and less pain as my leg began to heal up and yeah. new nerves began to reconnect and new cells were forming to right. replace those that were uh, damaged. Damaged, right. Yeah. So the first thing, I think, in, in healing is to acknowledge that I am suffering. Yeah. I am in pain. I am lonely. I am missing this person. And, you know, I'm feeling angry at times. And um, I may um, express my anger or transfer my anger to someone who doesn't even deserve it at the slightest little, Mm. you know, indication that I'm not in agreement with somebody. I can overreact. Mm to um, what my life is trying to do to get me back together again. Mm. But I have to acknowledge that I am in pain and and I am suffering, and I will talk to people about that. Mm. And I cannot believe that I can't get over this in a day or two or a week. I have to allow myself time to heal. It took a good, you know, six months for my leg to really heal up some, mm-hmm. um, uh, where I uh, could get around really good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, initially, I couldn't do that. And sometimes the pain was so excruciating that I thought, what in the world? I've never felt pain like this before. Yeah. But... In time, my leg began to heal up, and I could uh, get out and walk. Uh, couldn't run too good, but <laughs> I could uh, walk really good. So um, when you acknowledge that you're in pain and that you're going to be in pain and that it's going to take some time for this to heal up, you know, um, Someone said, uh, a guy who uh, uh, wrote a book on divorce and healing said that it takes a good four years for you to heal if you had a a significant attachment Mm. to the person to whom you got divorced from. Mm. You know, four years, and people would say, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm going to get on my life, you know? Right. But it keeps coming back. Mm. Someone told me after 10 years of being divorced, he's going down 610 in busy traffic and about to exit off onto 59. And he said, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, why did that have to happen? Mm. Why did I have to go through? that divorce. What was wrong with me? Mm. So 10 years later, he's having an episode. But he said, what I've learned to do is to 
think, what do I have now? Mm. What is my life now like that's worth living? Mm. And uh, so it's allowing yourself time to heal. And there's no specific time frame Mm. for that. You can't say two weeks, six months, two years, four years. Uh, It may come in stages or in episodes. You may think, I'm over it, I'm done with it, I'm, I'm a new person, and then all of a sudden you're grieving again. But allow that. Allow, well, I'm rethinking some of this stuff, and I'm going to allow myself to rethink it, but I'm also going to focus on how my life is now Mm. and where I am now and what I have now. And that means that I can practice self-compassion. You know what it's like to have to feel sorry for somebody who's in pain and suffering. Sure. To feel sorry for your little pet if they're uh, having problems or whatever. But we can have compassion. You know, Jesus might say, blessed are those who uh, can have compassion for other people, for they shall receive compassion. Mm. You know, uh, from me, Jesus would say that. So what does it mean? It means that I can forgive myself. I don't always do the right thing. For the person that I'm grieving over, maybe there were times when I didn't do right. But guilt is a part of, of, of that healing process. It's also a, a stage in grief where you're just feeling so guilty and ashamed. And sometimes you should feel that way. Maybe you weren't very good. Maybe you weren't very nice. Maybe you weren't very helpful. Um, and so now that that person is gone, I'm feeling guilt and shame for that. But I can permit that because I can confess my sins. I can confess where I failed. I can think through that. But by practicing self-compassion, I, I will forgive myself for that because I believe that God has forgiven me. You know, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse us and wash us and forgive us of all unrighteousness. Mm. And so we need to be compassionate toward ourselves and realize that I haven't met any perfect people, and certainly I'm not perfect. But God is faithful and just to forgive me for anything, and I can ask others to forgive me. And... Forgive people who uh, is, is like the woman who, um, I'm not going to grieve over that dirty dog, you know. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm glad he's gone. It seems like one of the themes, and this is not like a catch-all, but one of the themes that you're expressing here um, is a need to acknowledge, whether it's 
acknowledging that hurt me or whether it's acknowledging I messed up here or whatever, it, bringing things into the light. Like you're quoting 1 John 1, 8 about confessing our sins you know, and God for being just to forgive us. He also talks earlier in 1 John 1 about walking in the light. And then that's how we have this fellowship with one another, right? Right, exactly. Um, so just this need to, to acknowledge uh, instead of avoiding. Right, exactly. And, and, and that leads into the next um, uh, way that healing can take place is that I can begin to connect with other people. Mm. You know, I can reconnect with God, whom I may have neglected in my life forever and ever, you mm. know. Um, I can begin to uh, connect with other people and instead of isolating. Mm. Because sometimes we feel so bad and we think we look so bad that I'm just going to stay in my house and close my door and not go out and be with anybody because I don't want them to see me in this condition. Yeah. But just the opposite needs to take place. There is a time for quietness. There is Mm. a time for rest. There is a time for self-searching and reevaluating. But I don't need to continue that, you know, for weeks and months sometimes years. Yeah. I need to get out and be with people. And uh, a lot of churches have a program today. It's called Grief Share, mm. where you can go and be with other people who are going through grief. Yeah. And it's like you share your experience with other people and you listen as other people share their grief experience. And we connect. Mm. You know, at at our church, it's not called Sunday school or Bible study. It's called your connect group. Right. And you go connect with people. Mm -hmm. You uh, go to be with them and let them see who you are and what you are. And you see how other people are. Um, And I think realizing is what I was talking about a while ago is that Grief changes you. Mm. And I can accept the changes. That's the way I heal. I accept the changes that this has made in my life. Yeah. And I will try to make the most of that. It's like, what is my new normal again? Yeah. My new normal, the new normal for my grandmother was to move out of her house that she would never move back into again. Mm. And instead of going to what uh, we would call today, um, you know, uh, an assisted living place. Right. Because she had all these kids. And she was someone that would never uh, impose on you you know, and think that you just had to spend time with her. When my grandmother would come and spend her month at our house, uh, one of the things that we would do, I would get my little guitar out and we would play 
her songs, nice. you know, her old-fashioned hymns like yeah. uh, Hold the God's Unchanging Hand. She would love that song. And that song was written about at another pandemic. Oh, like wow. In, uh, like the Spanish flu? The Spanish flu? Yeah. Yeah. Someone wrote that song. Uh, okay. It's called Hold the God. Uh, and the first line is very important, and this is true of grief, that time is filled with swift mm. transitions. Mm. That's the first line in that song. Yeah. Is time is filled with... Swift transitions. And none, no one on earth unmoved mm. will stand. Yeah. You know, yeah. because it's going to... Uh, transition is going to come to your uh, environment where yeah. you live, to your life, to your lifestyle. Mm. And so that's part of recovery. It's part of healing is to realize that these are opportunities that God has placed before me and I can go with it rather than getting stuck or entrapped at a certain place where I'm just uh, existing. Joyfully 